chapter 11. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are um, we're going to be continuing our refocus series. If you'll remember, just in light of uh, the last couple years, we've been wanting to work through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here and just really refocus on what does the church need to be about. What is it that the church needs to focus on? There are many, many things around that we could focus on here. I think in 1 Corinthians 11, I think Paul, as he writes to our, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, I think he's, he's directing our hearts and our minds, our affections and our attention to the things that really matter. And so we as a church want to work through 1 Corinthians 11, focusing on what do we need to refocus on? And in just a minute, Lindsay is going to be reading our passage from 1 Corinthians 11. Um, but before she does, I'm going to pray and then just mention, um, for those of you looking at your bookmarks going, this isn't the sermon we're supposed to be preaching this week. The bookmark says 1 Corinthians 6. Why are we in 1 Corinthians 11? Um, well, Tab's uncle this past uh, Monday passed away. Um, and so we just wanted to give him the freedom to be able to leave, to go back to Maryland. So he's in Maryland with his dad and with his family, um, just being able to do a, a celebration of life that they're having for his uncle today. And so that's why we've flip-flopped here. And so as we dive in, I want to pray for Tab, pray for, the, pray for the trainer family, as well as pray that the Spirit would meet us this morning. So please join me in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, as we as we come before you, as we come before your word this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that we are completely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit uh, to receive what you want us to hear this morning. And so, Lord, we do just pray that the, the words of Psalm 119, that you, Holy Spirit, would graciously teach us your word. May you open our eyes to behold wondrous things, to behold Christ this morning. Lord, give us life according to your word, incline, incline our hearts to your word. Lord, give us understanding and help us to delight and hope in your word. And this morning, Lord, we do pray for Tab and for Sung and for the whole Trainer family as they just, Lord, as they grieve, they grieve the loss of, of Tab's uncle, as Ed just grieves the loss of his brother. Lord, we do pray that you would, would meet them, that you would comfort them in this time. Lord, we pray that the hope of the gospel would shine bright in the celebration of life service today. And Lord, that you would, would use this, um, this, Lord, just this sad situation, Lord, to bring the hope of the gospel to those who, who don't know and who don't believe. So Lord, do meet them, comfort them this morning, we pray. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians 11. Lindsay's going to read 17 to 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by, by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, I will never forget the first time that I tasted avocado. Now, I'm sure that many of you guys are going to be surprised to hear this, but I am a pretty picky eater. Um, and growing up, I had a very, very strict rule. I kept it very strictly. I observed this rule that if something was green, it was going to taste gross, and so I wouldn't eat it. And so unfortunately, for the first 20 year, 21 years of my life, I never once tasted the deliciousness that is an avocado and, and all that they are good for, namely guacamole. However, on that fateful day in the summer of 2008, while on a lunch break with a coworker who was dumbfounded that I had never tasted avocado before, offered me a piece. As I reluctantly took it and, of course, turned away from the group of people staring at me so that no one would see me spit it out when I inevitably didn't like it, I put it in my mouth and I was once overcome with two feelings. First, I was just delighted by how good this avocado was. Amen? That's right. Amen? But at the same time as I was delighted, I was just overcome with disappointment on all that I had missed out on for so long. I had missed out on all that the food world had to offer me in the avocado for 21 years. Have any of you guys had that experience? Maybe not with avocados, but I'm sure you can relate. There's something that you missed, you've missed out on, where you've just been, been overcome by the fact that you have missed out on something because you didn't know all that was available to you in it. Well, I know it's not exactly the same thing as my experience with avocados, I am inclined to think that for many of us, the, thing, the same thing can be said about our experience of the Lord's Supper. I think that for many of us, we've been missing out on all that God is offering to us in the Lord's Supper. I think this is true because for many of us, when we think of the Lord's Supper, we primarily think about the Lord's Supper as an individual private experience of remembering Jesus' death. The Lord's Supper for us becomes primarily a time for us to, to get right with God as we remember Jesus' death. And these are not bad things. They're not wrong things, as we're going to see in a few moments. Those are part of our experience with the Lord's Supper. But if that's the only thing that comes to mind when you think of the Lord's Supper, then I think much like my experience with avocados, 
we're missing out on a lot because there is so much that God is offering to us in this practice of the Lord's Supper and the bread and the cup. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want to help us refocus our sacraments mainly refocus our practice of the Lord's Supper so that we can see all that the Lord is doing as we take the bread and the cups, that we don't miss out on all that he is offering us. And we're going to do this by answering the question, how should we approach the Lord's Supper? How should we approach the Lord's Supper? And this morning, I want to highlight four ways that this passage shows us we should approach the Lord's Supper. We're going to see four ways this morning. The first here is the first way we should approach the Lord's Supper is by looking back in remembrance of Christ. I think this is one we're all familiar with. This is what I was highlighting earlier. When many of us think about the Lord's Supper, this is what what mainly comes to mind for us here is, is looking back in remembrance of the cross. We see this in the very words of institution that Tab and I read every week where we eat the bread and we drink the cup in remembrance of Christ. Even as Lindsay was reading here, if you look in verses 24 and 25, we read that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He does the same thing with the cup where he says, he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in the Lord's Supper, as we approach the Lord's table here, we, we are to do so in a posture of remembering. Um, before we look at the idea of what it means to remember, I want to look at what we're supposed to be remembering here. I mean, it's very clear in the words of the passage here and recounting Jesus' words from the Last Supper. We see that we're supposed to be remembering all that Jesus did for us. Namely, all that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection for us. Given the Old Testament background of the Passover, at the annual celebration of God's great deliverance of, Egypt, of, of Israel from Egypt, when Jesus talks of his death, when he talks of his body broken and his blood shed, what he is doing is Jesus is, is remaking the Passover for his disciples. And rather than remembering back, looking back and remembering the great act of salvation of Israel from Egypt, Jesus is, is repurposing it and he's wanting his disciples to now look at the Lord's Supper here and to remember his even greater act of redemption where it's not salvation from Egypt, but it is salvation from Satan's sin and death. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be remembering in the Lord's Supper. We're remembering Christ's death and all that it accomplished for us. Now, again, I think it's important for us to consider, like, we are to be looking back and remembering Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, looking the even greater Passover lamb, Jesus, who was sacrificed for us. We're to be remembering all that he did to, to accomplish victory over Satan, sin, and death for us. But I think, again, we need to consider, what does it mean to remember? What is Jesus talking about here when he calls us to remember? Does it mean that we are just to recall the facts of, of Christ's death? Are we to, to perhaps mentally rehearse the events of Jesus' life and mainly his death as we are, are taking the Lord's Supper, just thinking about the events on the cross? Well, I think while it doesn't mean less than that, it certainly doesn't mean less than that, I think that there's so much more here for us as we think about this idea of remembering. I think Jesus had so much more in mind for us as he calls us to remember and to do this in remembrance of him. 
Because when Christ tells us to do something in remembrance of him, it's more than just mental recollection here, but he is inviting us to see ourselves as participants in this event. He's, He's calling us to allow this meal to define who we are and how we see ourselves. I think this becomes really clear again as we consider the, the Passover as the backdrop for the Lord's Supper. You see, each year as the families would gather together to celebrate the Passover meal, they wouldn't do it just by sitting around in a circle and by remembering what Jesus did, just recalling the facts, but each family would, would slaughter a lamb. They would, would slaughter the lamb. They would prepare their Passover meal, and in doing that, they were, they were active participants in this Passover. It was almost like they were placing themselves back in Egypt again, remembering what it would have been like for those original Israelites in Egypt on the night of the Passover, and they were, were placing themselves there again to allow this story of what God has done to define themselves. In doing these things here, in celebrating this meal, in in sacrificing the Passover lamb there, in doing these things, God was inviting the Israelites to let his great story of salvation define who they were. And it wasn't just reciting events to themselves, but it was actually participating in it and doing it themselves. And the same is true for us and for our celebration of the Lord's Supper. As we take the bread and the cup in remembrance, Jesus doesn't want us to just recall to mind Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us, but he wants this saving, this saving work to, to play an active role in our lives. It's almost like he wants us to place ourselves at the table with Jesus on the night of the Last Supper, to be with him, to, to experience what it would have been like to be with him and his disciples and to, to feel the weight of all that was going on as, we prepare, as his disciples prepared their hearts for what was to come. He wants us to, there's an active role that we play here in this this remembering, and it's meant to define who we are. You see, in this way, I think the Lord's Supper, as we look back, as we are active participants, we see that the Lord's Supper is really a weekly identity-forming exercise for us, an identity-forming practice for us, as each week it immerses us in the story of the gospel, and it tells us who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us each week, and as we take the bread, as we drink the cup, we just, we physically experience again and remind ourselves in in physically tangible, embodied ways what it means to be Christ's people, what it means to be those who have been redeemed. I think as we saw last week, this, this being reminded, this remembering is what we most need. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded of this story of the gospel because of how quick we are to forget. As I think about the practice of the Lord's Supper, I just think it's so kind of God to give us this regular practice of the Lord's Supper where almost weekly we gather together to remind each other, to remind ourselves of who we are and who Jesus is. So how are we to approach the Lord's Supper? I think first we are to approach the Lord's Supper by looking back in remembrance. And again, I think for most of us, that's where our approach to the Lord's Supper stops. But I think as we continue working through this passage and as we see these three other ways that Christ calls us to approach the supper, I hope that your, your imaginations expand and that your hearts are, grow more and more excited for what God is doing in the practice. And so second, let us see that not only do we approach the Lord's Supper looking back, 
but we approach the Lord's Supper looking up in communion with him. You see, in the Lord's Supper, we enjoy communion or we enjoy fellowship with the risen and ascended Christ. Well, I've been referring to this meal here as the Lord's Supper. As you all know, it's also called communion. You know, and this comes from the idea that in the Lord's Supper here, we enjoy fellowship with Christ. We, we keep company with Jesus in the Lord's Supper. We see this point made, made most explicitly in 1 Corinthians 10. If you have your Bibles, you can flip back to 1 Corinthians 10. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the Apostle Paul says that the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation or a sharing in the body of Christ? Here in 1 Corinthians 10, this verse here is found in the middle of Paul's argument against the Corinthian believer's practice of participating in sacrificial meals that were honoring the pagans. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is wanting the Corinthians to see that by eating this meat sacrificed to idols, that more was going on than just eating the meat. But in eating the meat that had been sacrificed to idols, they were, they were participating in, in fellowship or in communion with those fake gods. And Paul didn't want them to have any part of that. And so he compares these pagan meals to the Lord's Supper here. And as Paul says in this verse, that when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we're not just merely eating and drinking. More is going on here. Something deeper, something bigger, something more profound is happening than just eating and drinking. Because as we do that, we are participating in or we are sharing in the body and blood of Christ. Or another way to say it is, is we're sharing in or we are communing with Christ. So I think this can be weird for us, right? What does it mean to be participants in the body or participants in the blood of Christ? And so just to unpack what that means, there is much that can be said. But I think at a minimum, what it means for you and for me is that when we take the Lord's Supper, it's more than just eating and drinking, but we are, but in the Lord's Supper, it's, I think it means to show us that Christ is present with us by the Spirit and through faith, we are actually receiving the benefits of Christ's death for us. Let me say that again. When we have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper, it means that Christ is present with us through the Holy Spirit, and through faith, we are actually receiving the benefits of his death for us. This is, this is far from being just a way to remember something accomplished for us in the past, the Lord's Supper is a feast where Christ is present with us right now, and he is nourishing our faith. I think here's where the connection with food comes in handy. Because in the same way that food, whatever you ate for breakfast this morning, in the same way that that food literally strengthens your body, it strengthens your bones and your muscles, it helps your brain do all the functions that it needs to do, in the same way that food does that for us, in the Lord's Supper, the Spirit is using the bread in the cup to strengthen and to sustain us spiritually. The bread in the cup by faith, are, are, they're, they're feeding our faith. And this is one of the reasons why I'm just so grateful that here at Grace Church, we practice this almost weekly. Because it's so much more than just recalling something that happened in the past. But it is a, it is a feast that strengthens and nourishes our faith as we receive Christ and all his benefits. 
You see, far from being something that can become rote or something that, that can lose its meaning, the Lord's Supper is something that is just vitally important for our spiritual growth. It's a, it's a means of grace that God uses to move us into a deeper and into a more transformative embrace of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so that's what's going on here in the Lord's Supper is, is we are communing with Christ. We're having fellowship with Jesus as he feeds and strengthens our souls. I don't know about you guys, but looking at the Lord's Supper this way is just, it's so different from anything that I experienced growing up in the church so often for me growing up in the church, the Lord's Supper was a, was a call for this, this morbid introspection where I was, was encouraged, I think, in the most unhelpful ways to examine myself, to make sure that there was no unconfessed sin in my life. Otherwise, I could be eating and drinking judgment on myself. I mean, this was, was serious business, right? As we're going to see in a couple of verses, people were dying in their practice of the Lord and taking the Lord's Supper in the wrong way. And so we were called to examine ourselves. And, and for me, that examine myself meant look in my heart and make sure that everything was, was perfect, that there was no sin that I hadn't confessed. And all too often, at least in my own heart, you might be different for you, but in my own heart, I found that it took the focus off of Christ and the gospel and it became all about me. It was all, it was all about me and making sure that everything was right in my heart instead of seeing the Lord's Supper as a feast, as an opportunity to experience communion with God and to remember who he is for me, to remember that he is gentle and lowly towards me, to remember that he is for me. You see, the, the Lord doesn't use the Lord's Supper as a, as a carrot and a stick for us. It's not an incentive and the Lord's Supper is not a deterrent, but it is a means, of, means that God uses to, to strengthen our faith. As, as one pastor put it so well, he said that the Lord's Supper is not a prize for the perfect, but it is powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. And so if you're here this morning, and I think if you are tempted to just to think this morning that, man, you've just had a really bad week. Maybe you've gotten angry. Maybe you weren't patient. Maybe you gave in to that sin again. And you're just thinking, man, there's no way that I can take the Lord's Supper today. If, if that's you here this morning, I just want you to know that this meal, the Lord's Supper, we're going to celebrate at the end of this sermon, has been especially prepared for you by Jesus. This morning, in the bread and the cup, Christ is inviting you to joyfully and confidently come to his table and to receive that powerful medicine and nourishment for your soul. This morning, in the bread and the cup, Christ wants to strengthen you this morning with his grace as you come to him in communion and to receive his promises again. And the Lord is doing many extraordinary things through the ordinary act of eating and drinking. So we approach the Lord's Supper looking back. We approach the Lord's Supper looking up. And thirdly, we approach the Lord's Supper looking around in communion with Christ's people. We approach the Lord's Supper looking around in communion with Christ's people. See, if there's one thing that Paul doesn't want us to miss in our celebration of the Lord's Supper, it's its togetherness. 
The Lord's Supper is something that the church does together. It's not something we do individually, but it is something that we do together as a body. That's why Paul uses the phrase, when you come together, he uses that phrase five times in these 17 verses here. He, he doesn't want us to miss that this meal is all about our unity. It is all about our togetherness. It's a meal that is meant to celebrate together and to display our unity as a body of Christ. Again, that's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. He says in verse 10, 17, he says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You see, the one loaf that's split in two each morning as we come down, the one loaf is meant to be a visible reminder to all of us of our unity and our union with one another. It's a unity, it's a union that flows from our communion or from our unity in Christ. Because we are united to Christ, we are united to one another, and that is displayed in this practice of the Lord's Supper. You see, it's against this backdrop of our supposed unity with each other that helps us understand and see what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 11, and it helps us better understand why Paul gets so upset with what's going on in Corinth. Because the Lord's Supper, a meal that, that should have been a meal of a gathering together of the church, displaying their unity and their union in Christ. Instead, this has been a meal, this has been another opportunity for the Christians in Corinth to display their separateness, to display their disunity. You see, as we see in verses 17 to 22, what's happening is the rich members of the church had turned the Lord's Supper into their own private party. The rich members of the church are showing up to the church early while the poorer members of the church are still having to be out work. And the rich, and the rich folks are showing up, they're eating all the food, and they're drinking so much that they're getting drunk when they're supposed to be gathering together. They are, they are living it up. They're leaving nothing else for the poorer among them. And this gets Paul fired up because that's the complete opposite of what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do. And so as we see in verses 27 to 29, where Paul issues his harsh warning, his harsh warning against eating the bread in the cup in an, in an unworthy manner, it has to do with eating and celebrating the Lord's Supper in such a way that heightens the disunity and the division in the church. You see, in light of our, our unity with one another, Paul commands us to examine ourselves and to discern the body not in the sense of examining ourselves to see if every little sin in us has been confessed, but he's calling us to examine ourselves, to examine the body, the body of Christ, the church, to make sure that we are living in light of our union with Christ. Paul wants to make sure that we are living out the connection between our love for Christ and our love for his people. To the Lord's Supper, as we come each week to take the bread and the cup, it's meant to be a tangible reminder to us that in his life, death, and resurrection, Christ didn't just bring us into union with himself, but he brought us into union with his church. You see here this call to examine ourselves. It's, it's not a call for, for silence. It's not a call for, for soberness and somberness. The Lord's Supper, it's a feast, right? We say we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, 
The call here to examine ourselves is to examine our unity to see as we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ, are we living out our unity in Christ with one another? Now, please here, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that looking at, looking at sin in your own life is unimportant. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't examine ourselves. Paul commands us to do that. Those are real, and they have their place. And in fact, the church has historically had a weekly corporate confession in their services, just like we do very regularly, to give, people, to give God's people a chance to confess their sins and to be assured of their forgiveness. That is good and right and proper. Paul calls us to do that. The Bible calls us to to do that, but it's just not the Lord's Supper is the time to do that. The Lord's Supper is a time for us to rejoice, to celebrate as one body, to celebrate as those who have been redeemed by Christ, those who have been made part of a family. And so in light of this, as we take the Lord's Supper each week, I just want to encourage you, and I think Paul would encourage you here, to use this as an opportunity to pursue unity in the body of Christ by seeking reconciliation. I was just encouraged by my brother Dan this past week as he was talking with our middle schoolers and high schoolers about how the Lord's Supper is just an opportunity for us to remember that here in the body of Christ, we're just not meant to live with division between us. We're not meant to live unreconciled to one another. And the Lord's Supper is just such a great reminder to us of our union in Christ. And it's a great encouragement to us to seek unity with one another, to make sure Sure that we are reconciled to our brothers and our sisters. And so this morning, just as we take the Lord's Supper, as we think about that, I just want to ask you, how are your relationships with your brothers and sisters here at Grace Church? I think as we're very open about, we don't, we don't try to hide this. If you are here at Grace Church long enough, you will be sinned against and you will sin against other people. That's what's going to happen in a family. It happens all the time. And so use the Lord's Supper each, each week just as a reminder to look around at your brothers and sisters and to consider, have I sinned against any of my brothers or sisters here? And if that's the case, then just commit to make amends as soon as possible. Let the Lord's Supper shape you into the type of person who pursues unity with God's, pe with, with God's people, to pursue unity with your brothers and sisters in here. And I think we can't miss here as well in this practice of the Lord's Supper here that as we were called to pursue unity, I think there's also just a really helpful reminder for us as we come to the Lord's table. It's just a reminder that we are all equal in Christ. You see, the Lord's Supper is a, is a leveling reality for us in the world of increasing inequality. In a real way, there's a, there's a social reality at play for us in the Lord's Supper. When we come together, no matter our background, no matter our job status, blue collar, white collar, no matter our wealth, we all come to the same table. Here at the Lord's Supper, there are no box seats, there are no VIP reservations, there are no special menus for those who can afford it, but we all come together. Just this, uh, I think last week or maybe two weeks ago, Donna and I had the opportunity uh, to go to a, a Padre game, one of the last uh, Padre games of the season. And as we're walking by to get to our seats, we like walk past like the Lexus Club. This is one of those things that has like these velvet ropes in front of it. There's probably three or four guards in front of each door. And, and of course, they have the clear see-through glass so you can see what's going on. And inside are all these chefs wearing white coats with white hats preparing what I'm sure are these five-course meals. And I'm 
walking by to go to my seats to get a hot dog looking at this all-you-can-eat buffet that is taking place in the Lexus Club. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, that's not what's happening. There's, there's no Lexus Club at the Lord's Supper here at Grace Church. And there shouldn't have been a Lexus Club in Corinth, but there was. And that's what made Paul so mad is there was a separation and this disunity but as we gather together, young and old, rich and poor, conservatives and liberals, mature Christian and struggling Christian, as we come to the table, we're all equal. We are all invited to the same table to commune with Christ and to experience communion with one another. And this is exactly what the Corinthians got wrong. They failed to see that in Christ, they were all equal. They were all co-heirs. And it had disastrous consequences for them. But that not, must not be the case for us. This is a call for us to pursue unity with one another. As we take the Lord's Supper, as we approach the table, we're, we're called to look around, to rejoice at those whom God has redeemed. We are a family of those who have been redeemed. God has gathered us together. This is not just something that a hundred of us do individually on a Sunday morning, but this is a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded of what God has done in creating a community of redeemed people that in our lives together as the body of Christ, we are displaying to the world our unity in Christ. We are displaying to the world what Christ has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So Let's take this opportunity as we take the Lord's Supper to rejoice together at his gracious work in our lives. So how do we approach the Lord's Supper? We look back, we look up, we look around, and lastly, we're called to look forward in hope. We look forward in hope of Christ's return. Paul makes this point very explicit again in a passage we read each Sunday. We're at the end of verse 26. Paul writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we hear these words, until he comes, we are reminded that the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the feast that we are going to experience when Christ returns, the marriage supper of the Lamb pictured for us in Revelation 19. This day here, until he comes, this day is a day that Christ spoke of when he was with his disciples, and he said, that I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's on this day when Christ returns that he will feast with us. No longer his presence mediated by the Spirit, but we will see Christ face to face and on this day, our faith will be made sight. We will rejoice and we will exult in his presence as for the first time we will experience perfect communion with him, the communion that we were created to enjoy. As we learn in Revelation 21, on this day when Christ returns, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more sickness, no more danger, no more death, evil will be gone, temptations will be no more, and that day is what the Lord's Supper is pointing to. The Lord's Supper is meant to increase our hope for that day when the Lord returns. You see, for all the riches that are offered to us in the Lord's Supper, they are all only a foretaste. The bread and the cup that we're going to share this morning, they are not the main meal, but they are only appetizers for the coming feast. 
There are weekly reminders to each one of us here that the best is still yet to come. It's just like a fireworks show with its grand finale here. God is saving his best for last, and that is what the Lord's Supper is doing. It is meant to, to nourish our hope, to nourish our expectancy for when he comes and we will be with him. Author Jamie Smith, he says in this way that the Lord's Supper, he calls it a sanctified letdown. Each week as we gather for the bread and the cup each week, it's, it's meant to be a sanctified letdown where each week we know that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here, it's a reminder to each of our hearts that we are still waiting for Christ to return and for us to feast with him right here on this renewed and restored earth. And so now we trust, we wait, we ache and we long for this day when Christ returns, when he comes again, and we do so looking forward with great hope. And we have this great hope because we know that the bread and the cup are foretaste of a greater feast. The bread and the cup serve as reminders for us of the broken body and the bloodshed of Christ for us. As we look back to the cross, we can have great confidence, great assurance that we know he will return again, that he will come again, and so we can feast with great hope. Oh, what a day this will be. So how do we approach the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters? This morning, we've seen that we approach the Lord's Supper by looking back in remembrance, by looking up in communion with Christ as we commune with him. We look around in communion with his people, with our brothers and sisters. And lastly, we look forward in hope of his return. As we close this morning, I think we want to put into practice all that we've been learning from God and his word as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So I just want to invite the band to come back up. Uh, those who are uh, serving the Lord's Supper, I want to invite them to come forward to, to prepare to serve the elements. Um, but before they do, before we take the elements, I just want to, just want to encourage all of us here to take a, a moment alone with the Lord just to encourage, and to, not to encourage, but to, to think about and to consider any ways that the Spirit has been speaking to us this morning. What are the ways that perhaps we needed to especially hear his voice in this, mo this voice this morning? Perhaps use these moments to experience communion with the risen Christ, to know that he is here with us now, present with us and in us. Perhaps now consider your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ or any in need of reconciliation. Maybe take a few moments to reflect on, your, on the, the hope that we have, the hope that Christ will come again. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, you gather us together, and in your grace and in your kindness to us, you, Lord, have prepared a table before us where you seek to, to nourish our faith, where you seek to fill us with Christ as we receive Christ and all his benefits in the Lord's Supper by faith through the Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, Lord, would nourish our souls this morning. Strengthen us, we pray. Encourage our hearts for who you are for us and who we are in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a